John 15. John 15. We're going to finish up John 15 today. We're going to scratch the surface of chapter 16. If you're here, welcome. If you're watching online, welcome. Just so you know, um, sort of the way we roll every week here. We, we pick books of the Bible. We study it all the way through. Our small groups meet in homes, and we discuss what we've studied and heard. Not only that, at the end of the service, we always, every service, respond by gathering at the tables that are at the back. Not only that, our offering is back there. We, we treat that as part of our response to the Word of God. And, uh, so just to make you aware of that. But now, brothers and sisters, let us center ourselves. I want us to hear all of this. Sometimes I will read a part of this. I want us to read the whole section. This is uh, a message that is important it's important for you to hear inside of a community inside of a group of people who love you there is sometimes hard messages that your pastor has to preach sometimes there's there's tough news that you need to hear and and it is always good as we're going to talk about later if that is wrapped in love and uh, so Jesus loves his disciples there's no doubt of that and yet this is an important message that they need to understand and hear this morning, and it is for us. And so let us stand to our feet. John 15, we're going to begin at verse 18, and we're going to read down to chapter 16 and verse 4. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be, have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the, world that is, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you thinks he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said things, these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Lord, this is your word. It is timely and as appropriate as it was for the disciples fixing to encounter their, their Jesus, their Master, their Lord being nailed to a tree and died. They would run from Him. 
They needed this warning for their future. So do we. And so, Lord, we thank you for the both the preparation of the cost and the comfort of the Spirit. Oh God, today we thank you that your word is true because there are people gathered in your name all over this city and all over this world that are giving your son a witness today. And so do we. And so, Lord, may we respond in obedience to our Lord today. In Jesus' name. You can be seated. To so some of you, this will take a little bit of going back in your mind. But do you remember the first time you ever encountered a bully? It's usually at school. Just walking down the hallway, minding your own business, trying to go to class. Maybe it's your first day, you're just hoping you go to the right classroom. And there's this guy, maybe it was a girl, for me it was usually a guy. I remember went to the YMCA when I was young, and it was, it was some kind of a summer camp or something, you know, it's supposed to have been fun. There was two twins, two guys that looked just like each other, and they made that the most miserable summer week of my life. And you're left with the question, ah, you know, like why me? I'm just going down the hallway minding my own business. Why do they seem to enjoy it so? I think to some degree it's our children's first introduction to the spirit of the world. There seems to be something evil and wicked. And it seems to enjoy it. Here's the picture. If you were here last week, we said there is a river. And down the river... The contents of the river, the riverbed itself, is the gospel and our great commission. And what gives it current is the great commandment that we should love our God and love each other. It's what makes the great commission do anything. And here's the image. As we're going down the river, the people that we're called to love are throwing rocks at us. And we're left going, what's wrong with them? Why is that? a good question this is what we've been talking about John 15 you could call it the seas there's four of them if you're taking notes there's the commission go make followers of Christ in a God hating world there's the command love each other love your neighbor there's a priority in that Love each other is first and foremost. It, that should make more sense to us today when we see how the world responds to us. Love your neighbor. And, and we could, if you ever watch one of those little happy, clappy, warm and fuzzy movies where you get to the end and they walk off into the sunset holding hands and, and you know, the credits roll and it's not life. <laughs> I wish it was rainbows and unicorns, but like I've said before, them, them unicorns will bite you. There's a cost, you see. There's a cost in this journey of life. And here's what he's teaching the disciples. Many will hate you and reject you as they reject Christ. There is in this, the fourth C, the contrast. We have been talking about love and we all love to talk about love. 
But there's hate in this world. And it's directed in all directions, but historically it has been honed in to Christians. 1 John 3.13 John, repeating himself here, says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So why explain this to the disciples? I mean... You ever watched a movie, maybe one of those apocalyptic movies, to where, to where the, the asteroid or the aliens are just about to invade, you know, and you got like five minutes or five seconds to say the last things to somebody, real important, before everything turns loose. What would you say? Jesus is fixing to go to the cross and die. Of everything that he can do and say, he chose to talk about why the world hates you. Why explain this? Look at verse, look at chapter 16 and verse 1. We'll get there, but I want you to see it in the introduction. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And, and so I've chose the word in your, in your main idea, prepare. Prepares. He prepares. Jesus prepares the followers by teaching that those who abide in Christ will be treated like Christ. Therefore, we must count the cost and stand firm as we proclaim the name and the power of the Spirit. He prepares His disciples for the cost of following Christ. So why do the world... Hate Christians so much? That's the question before. It's like the bully. Why does, why does he pick on me? Why, why won't he just move on? Look at verse 18. The world hates Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world can tolerate a Jesus provided we strip him of his identity. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus did not give us an option of a moral Jesus. Simply someone that we follow His teachings and do what He says and just our moral compass. He didn't give that to us as an option. But, but you start following the biblical Jesus and you start devoting yourself to Him and you will be despised by the world you live in. I'm studying Luke right now personally. And I was surprised at how quick his hometown wanted to push him off a cliff. I mean, he was a hometown boy. Luke 6, verse 26, Jesus said this, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. <laughs> Need to wonder if everybody in the world likes what you're doing. They hated him first. There's our first answer why the world hates us. And Jesus calls us out of his, out of, to a family out of a God-hating world. So he calls his family out of rebels. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You're on our crew. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. Jesus called us to Himself from something. 
We were God-hating rebels ourselves. In other words, think of the illustration with the bully. We were on the bully's crew. Like we were his crew. Hating felt good. We hated and we loved it. Jeff preached in 1 Peter. I can't every, every week I end up going back to 1 Peter. It's just Peter's connecting what the Lord taught him. We know this. You can just listen to it. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Listen to what he says. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. Jesus calls us out of the rebellious world. What is this world? What does he mean? What does John mean when he says world? This is one of his key words. He uses hate eight times. He uses world five times here in his section. This is the best explanation I could find. This is a quote. Listen carefully. The world is not the physical earth, but the controlling mentality of unbelieving mankind. Let me say that again. The world is not the physical earth, but the controlling mentality of unbelieving mankind. With its rewards and penalties, its expectations, ideologies, and practices, all of which are in rebellion to God and His rule. So do you see that? There is a, a controlling mentality. This is the world. And it has for its own. It polices its own. You can see this. Just look at the culture. They, they will cut you off from social media if you don't abide by their mentality. It is a controlling mentality that will reward you for the, when you go along and will penalize you when you don't. And it permeates ideologies and structures and systems. It is in everything. You do not have to answer. We don't need the world to tell us what about greed or what to do about racism. It, it happens. Sin is the world. The world permeates into everything. And if you don't go along, they will punish you for it. In other words, I could almost summarize the message down to this. Hatred is the dominant response to the world, from the world to Jesus and his people. This is simply not biblical truth, and it is. It is historical fact. It is the dominant response. They... You could simply look in Acts, they got favor. And by Acts 8, this persecution everywhere. Very short period of time. All, virtually all the disciples endured persecution. And almost all of them died a violent death because of their profession as a Christian. Jesus' family is called out. Of a God-hating world. And we serve. Listen, we serve who the world hates. Why do they hate you? Because they hate Jesus. And we serve Him. And listen, the world will be glad to accept you if you get rid of the word Lord. Just make Him your friend. Somebody that loves you like you are. 
But don't call him Lord. No, we serve him. That's what it means when somebody says Lord. We serve him. How do we serve him? Verse 20. Remember the, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And so quite simply, this is the hard part. This is why this is important. We serve the Lord by bearing witness to our friends in the world. You see how this is, this is not going to be easy. He's telling them that on the front end of this thing. We serve Him because He gave us a commission and He gave us a command and they are not options for the Christian. They are marks of a Christian. We serve Him by the way we love our worldly neighbor. We have this biblical hope. We have this biblical prayer that, that the Holy Spirit will gather them into the family of God. Here's what he's saying. You need to expect that some will reject not only our offer, but you. They rejected Jesus. That's what the text is saying. And we need not to be, expect to be treated better than our Lord. Here's what. This is the sweetness in the cost. We are inseparably linked to Jesus. The child and the parent, the servant and the master, the sheep and the shepherd. All of those pictures in the Bible, we are inseparably linked. And the world knows it. You see, look at verse 21. The world is cut off from God. It's cut off from God. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Simply want you to see this. Why do they hate you? Because they don't know him. They don't know him. You see that? They don't know him. This, this kind of knowing is experiential knowledge. They have not experienced God. He's not saying they're not religious. He's not saying they don't go to the church somewhere. He's saying they've never experienced God. Ephesians 2 reminds us, verse 12, of who we were. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That used to be us, and that is the world's present condition. Too often, we expect the world to live like believers. Uh, we expect a bunch of non-Christians. They should act like a Christian. Jesus reminds us that they can't. They're estranged. They're cut off. They are separated from God. And yet, we may be listening today and say, but I don't hate God. Here's what the Bible is teaching. This is the sharpness that will cause offense. You say, I love God, but I'm living with my boyfriend. I love God, but I hate my co-workers. I love God, 
But I go out with my worldly friends and I do everything they do do. The only thing I've got to do is plug in the message or pop into church. Here's what he says. If you love the Father, you will submit to the Lord. To love the Father is to love the Son. To love the Son is to obey the Son. It's not about what you do and don't do. It's about following Christ. When you follow Christ, it takes care of those things. You see, this is the, this is the sharp edge that I was telling you about. Jesus exposes things that the world don't want to be exposed. He exposes the God-hating world. Look at verses 22, 23. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. Jesus exposes guilt. There's, it's not his point here to say, well, if Jesus would not have come, would they have been guilty? That's not his point. His point is that he did come. And that they, with full knowledge of who he was and what he did, rejected him in unbelief. And so they are more accountable. The world does not want to take ownership of their sin. And when you show it to them, they will hate you for it. We live in a world of victimhood. This is worldly, by the way. Even if a Christian psychologist gives it to you, it's still worldly. None of us now are responsible for our own behavior. Not even a bully is responsible for harassing a child. It's probably his parents' fault. Victimhood. We blame our parents. We blame the culture. We blame poverty. We blame the policeman. And if not good, we'll just blame God and cover it all. God does not have to assign blame. Here's what He does. He holds up a mirror. And He says, you want to see what's wrong with the world? You are. Good illustration pastor named Harry Ironside was describing a missionary who lived in one of the African villages and was a missionary and, and he had a mirror and he had it strapped up to a tree outside of where he lived and one day the, uh, a chief's wife visited and she'd never been there before and as she was coming into his home she looked over there at that mirror and she walked over to it she had never seen herself before. And she said, who is that hideous woman in that, in that tree? Right? Thought there was a woman stuck in a tree. and Boy, she was rough to look at. She had never seen the pain of her face. She had never seen the hardened features of, of tribal life. And so she said, i got to have this mirror. And the missionary says, I don't want it. You know, it's hard to get stuff when you're overseas. I, I really like this mirror, but she wouldn't have it. She wanted it. She said, give me a price. I'll pay it. So to keep the peace, the missionary set a price, and she got the mirror. And she took it in her hand. And she said angrily, 
I will never have it making faces at me again. And she threw the mirror down and she broke it into pieces. You see, that's what the world does. Show them a reflection of their sin and their reason for the way the world is the way the world is. And they will hate you and destroy you instead of dealing with the problem, which is the sin in their own heart. This is the reality of the gospel. Our lives put Christ on display. And when we put Christ on display, our lives will look like Christ-like holiness. And when it does in our life, we will throw a mirror up for the world. And we need not to believe that everybody who sees it will like what they see. Jesus prepares His disciples for this. This is the cost of following Christ. We have a commission. We have a commandment. Not everybody's going to want to hear it. This is good news. Jesus prepares his disciples for the coming of the helper. I love this word helper. We've already been introduced to the Holy Spirit in chapter 14. Verses 15 to 17 if you want to use some of the same language. Remember we paused right here and we did a four week study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Sort of prepare us where we're headed. I'm just going to introduce this. There's more to say about the Holy Spirit here. He's wanting to prepare to do something. They're going to have to persevere. And we're going to have to persevere, listen, in our witness. This is his point. Look at verse 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This word helper is the word advocate. If you've studied the Bible long, you've heard this. It's the word paraclete. He is our advocate. He stands beside of us. He is our encourager. But grab this today. This is the main important point of this section. The Holy Spirit's chief responsibility is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. That's why He's here. There will never be a time when there won't be a witness. The Spirit is here. You see that? He's going to bear witness about me. The connection here is this. The Spirit of God can bear witness without you. But you cannot bear witness to God without Him. And you won't. And many of us are letting our own personalities and our own fears quench the Spirit's work in our life rather than submitting to His Lordship and bear witness because the Spirit promises to come alongside of you in those moments. He promises it. He cannot go against the Word that the Father gave Him. That's His responsibility. He's God. He can't sin. He can't oversleep. He promises it. A.W. Pink, by the way, one of my favorite guys to read, says this, Marvelous grace was this. Neither hostility nor hatred quenched the compassion of Christ. The world might cast Him out, yet still would His mercy linger over it. Our witness 
must therefore flow from and bear the marks of Christ's mercy for lost sinners. The point here is that we have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, our helper in us, and we must persevere in bearing witness and no matter the cost. No matter the cost. It will not get easier, brothers and sisters, for you nor your children to be believers. This is why we are focused on hospitality. It is important, even the words that I just got through saying a few minutes ago, that that be wrapped in biblical community. It needs to be wrapped in hospitality. To tell somebody a hard truth, it really helps for them to know that you care about them. I'm not saying this because I'm the bully who feels good by hurting people. I'm the one who loves you, loves your soul. That's why hospitality is important. Because there's this point of the gospel that it is offensive to realize that you are guilty before a holy God. And yet we can't leave that part out. If you leave it out, there's no gospel. The hospitality creates a greater context for that message. To say there is a family to be reconciled into. And I used to be a rebel. And now I'm a son. We need to be prepared to persevere in our witness. We need to be prepared to stand firm. There's only two options. Stand firm or walk away. Stand firm or walk away. This is another sharp edge I can't take off of the Scripture. It means what it means here. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Verse 1 of chapter 16. The word there, falling away, is the word where we get the word scandal. It means to scandalize the faith. This word points to apostasy. Apostasy is to turn away from the truth with full knowledge of the truth. He's warning them that there is a greater danger than the opposition we face. It is apostasy. It is to, with full knowledge of the truth, say, I will not pay the price and walk away. He says, I don't want you to be unprepared. I have said all of these things so that you will know this is going to come because they they see you. They see me and you. You need to be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is with you. I don't want you to be able to say, nobody told me this was going to happen. And listen, I've I've said that question before myself. God's called me to do something. And I set out to do it, and it means success looks like what everybody says success looks like. Guess what? It don't. Sometimes God calls you to do something. It looks like a failure to everybody looking around you. And yet God says obedience is success. Obedience by faith. Simply the cost. And so He wants to be clear with them. And again, He goes back to this in verse 2. And see what you got to do if you stop, pause for just a second. He could have skipped all of this. He could have skipped verse 18 all the way down to verse 27. And he could have just said, oh yeah, by the way, uh, this is going to happen to you. It's been hard to take without all of this explanation to say they hated me. 
They're going to hate you. I expose their guilt. When you bear witness, you will too. They're going to hate, many people are going to hate you for it. But listen, I want you to stand firm. But you need to understand. Look at verse 2. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Now, here in um, the Bible Belt, put you out of the church, what do you got to do? You'll run, you'll run into a church if you're not trying to. I mean, you could blindfold yourself, put you in a car, and you will probably run into a church before you get to the end of the road. Not so. You see, what this really means is he is singing, because you follow me, you are going to be socially and religiously ostracized from the people you love the most. And listen, you won't take long of following Christ that you won't be socially ostracized. To them, to be cast out of the synagogue was the worst possible thing for a Jewish believer. They lost the church. They were kicked out of the community. Many of their families would have had funerals for them. Grieved over them. They would not have been their family anymore. They lost their community. They lost their family. They lost their church. They lost it all. And when you read Pentecost, you need to see that, brothers and sisters, when thousands of Jewish believers turned to faith and followed Jesus. And when they do, they were cast out of the synagogue. They were ostracized from their communities. And they paid the cost because Jesus is the Lord of all. He says it's coming. It is part of my testimony. that I got to a crisis moment in my life where I had this old community... I'd known them for a long time. They were my buds. But I had to follow Christ. Couldn't follow them. Couldn't do both. Had to follow Christ. That's the cost. He says, I got, I got something worse than that. They're going to kill you. Telling the disciples, they're going to kill you. When they do, they're going to call it worship. <laughs> you, you don't have to study history very much to find a time to when the church killed brothers and sisters and called it worship. From Stephen to the martyrs, God's people always bore witness and faced the possibility of death or ostracization. And any preacher who tells you following Jesus is the way to good health, riches, and luxury. It's not following Jesus. They're simply trying to pad their pockets and they have the mentality of the world. It's just not the gospel. Do you see this? I am not doing anything other than reading the Bible. This is the normal Christian life. One of the guys that I really enjoy reading is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A guy named Eric Metaxas wrote a really good book. I would... Highly recommend it. It's really big, but once you start reading it, you can't always stop. Bonhoeffer wrote The Cost of Discipleship. and Once you start, you'll find other books that he wrote as well. He says this, Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. And here I go again, back to First Peter. But you see, 
I find this so compelling because Peter's sitting there when Jesus is teaching this, right? You ever, you ever study something of the Bible and sitting there going, I don't know if I'm remembering this or not. I mean, how do I know this is going to stick, right? Read the Bible every day, study all this stuff. Peter's sitting there. Peter writes this. Jesus prepares Peter. Peter prepares us. We are preparing you even today. 1 Peter 4.12 says this. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13. Listen. How well Peter got this. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Listen. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You will never experience the Spirit of glory and of God as much as when you suffer for the Lord by being identified with Him and being treated like Him. This is a cause for the rejoicing, not grieving. They're treating us the same way they treated our Jesus. Don't be surprised. Don't fall away. Stand firm. Because our helper will never leave us or forsake us. So, just by way of application today, turn with me to Acts 4. When times of persecution come, will we stand firm or fall away? That's the question. I want you to look at Acts 4. I want you to see these, the church in action, the men of God in, in action here. God's people. I couldn't find any better way to summarize Acts 15 for us. Look at Acts 4. Look at verses 1 to 4. This is Peter and John. They're, they're about their great commission work. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temples and of the Sadducees came upon him, greatly annoyed because the, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, where it was already evening. Look at verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. So there was gospel declaration going on here. And the, the religious leaders were, this word here, greatly annoyed, means they were irked. They were irked at them. And so they arrested them. And yet though they arrested them, we see in verse 4, people were saved. Look at verse 8. Into verse 7. So here's the question. By what power or by what name do you do this? See, there was a guy who was healed. The backstory here. Then Peter, love this. Listen to Peter. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we were being examined today concerning a good deed that was done to a crippled man, by what means 
This man has been healed. Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What were they doing in times of persecution? Bearing witness. They were bearing witness. Look at verse 13 at the end. When they saw his boldness, it says they recognized that these men weren't much, but they had been with Jesus. Skip down to verse 18. The religious leaders called him out, and they called him out and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter. And John answered them, What is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God? You must be the judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. You see this spirit in this time of suffering, giving them both the strength to stand firm and the strength to bear witness. They were standing firm in their gospel commission. What happened after this? Look down at verse 23. Listen, by the way, this is the normal Christian life for the Christian here. When they were released, where did they go? Verse 23, they went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and elders had said. What happened next? Worship happened next. They worshiped the Lord because they were counted worthy to suffer because they got a chance to bear witness. Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth see and everything in him then he's, he goes off in this prayer look at verse 29 and now Lord look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue speaking your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and performed through the name of our holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they had were gathered taken was, was shaken they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Story's not over. I oftentimes quit reading there. Brothers and sisters, this is, a, this is a lesson in context. Look at verse 32. What were they doing? What was the undercurrent in the biblical community while these, while these brothers were suffering and bearing witness and the world was hating them? Verse 32, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one has said any of the things belonged to his own, was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were listened, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all, and there was not a needy person among them. Beckon to you as proof of both my life and yours that this is the model that God has given us a promise that yes, we will suffer. But that the Spirit of God is with us. He has given us the great commission to be carried out. And the great commandment. And the spirit and expressed and hospitality that is first and chiefly realized right here in the body of Christ. And when we do this, when we suffer... When we have a bad week because we have did what the Word have told us to do. 
And we got beaten up, so to speak, for it. Here's what they did. They went back to their biblical community. They were nurtured and encouraged and worshipped. And in a few minutes when we say amen, we are going to leave this place and we are going to go out into a world that we need not think will love us in return. I get a little might find a surprise and been preaching for a long time I still get very nervy on Sundays so I usually get up and try to find something to sweep or you know I'm just that kind of guy you know I got to do something sweeping first come this chapter come to my head if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am a noisy gong and clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall be fully known. Even as I am fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. And so now, Lord, we have come to the part of our service where we with our mouths and with our hands, with all of us, with our resources, we love You. We sing. We are going to come to the table and remember that we have a Lord who died for us. We have a Father who gave His only Son for us. And because of that, we have a family that sticks closer to each other than a brother. We have much to rejoice in now. And yet, Lord, we need You. For in a minute, we go out. And we need the courage to be the witnesses that You have told us to be where You have already placed us. And so, God... Fill us with your spirit as we go. Give us your grace as we worship. Press down, shaken, and overflowing. Lord, we need you for our daily Christian journey. And so now we do what we as your children and servants can only do. Hold up our empty hands and worship you. And pray that your grace fill us. Be worshipped now in Jesus' name. Amen.